Hello, I'm Steve McCaskill, Technology Editor at SportsPro, and I'm here with a special edition of the SportsPro podcast. Today, we're talking about electronic performance and tracking systems, or EPTS. It's fair to say soccer hasn't always been the most technologically progressive sport, especially in England. Television, floodlights, and even air travel were fiercely resisted, but have now all transformed the modern game beyond recognition. And modern soccer is a commercial juggernaut. Clubs will adopt anything that gives them even the slightest advantage on the pitch, and sports science and data analytics are now widely used across the professional game. EPTS devices track key performance and health metrics to inform both coaching and fitness strategies. And some of these technologies have even filtered down to the amateur game. Many of you listening will know of someone who turns up to five side wearing a GPS tracker. So on the face of it, EPTS seems like purely a performance technology, but there are important business implications. For the financial rewards on the pitch are vast, and the cost of salaries and transfer fees are ever more expensive. An injury can cost millions in prize money or recruitment. So understanding more about the players and keeping them healthy can have a direct impact on the balance sheet. In this episode, I'm joined by Danny Shopov from Baron Sports, an emerging player in the field, to discuss the different types of systems on the market, the various use cases of technology, and the business aspect of procurement. I think most people listening will know what an EPTS is. They may not know the term. We've got an avalanche of data. We get it in when we're watching TV, but we're talking about players' statistics just through conversations and you know, reading match reports. But they may not know that there is this term. It is something that's used within the industry. So can you explain what an EPTS is? Maybe start the acronym to, <laughs> to begin with and how professional teams use them. Sure. Let me first set the stage a little bit for everybody listening and to make sure you listen to the end. What you're going to get out of this, or if you listen to the end of this, is how to save a million pounds, euro, dollars, name it, from your players' injuries. That's one. And then the other one is how to properly develop your players so that you can develop them as assets and, you know, get the bigger transfer fees that come along with that. And EPTS is the first step towards that journey. Now, EPTS stands for Electronic Performance Tracking Systems. Those are normally divided into two types of such systems. One is the optical systems, cameras, which are virtually a staple in every club, every level, and then the wearable systems. Now, the wearable systems are relatively more recent compared to cameras. Those are only about a decade old or so. But even inside of that, there are many different types of performance tracking systems. You know, that was probably one of the first things we talked about when uh, Steve and I connected was about exactly the difference between the different systems. Based on the current exchange rate, I might take you on the million dollars or the million euro rather than the, the million pounds. You mentioned there are these different types of VPTS and they do different things. So what are the pros and cons of these types and why would one club pick one over another? Is it a case of cost? Is it a case of capability? What goes into making that decision? There are a few things that go into uh, making that decision. The first one, of course, is the opinion of the coaches, because at the end of the day, they are the users of that system. But then come the money considerations, and that's a purview of the general manager, the technical director, whoever is responsible for uh, sports performance. Now, the general understanding in the industry even is that all the wearable performance systems are a dime a dozen, one and the same. There isn't much difference from one to another. However, there are different tiers, and each tier comes with its own pros and cons. So um, one tier is basically gives you basic parameters. There is no live data behind it. Then the next tier is a little bit more advanced, and it starts to look like a team system. 
where you can start getting some data live. And here I'm talking just basic parameters like distance, speeds, heart rate. And then the third level usually is a full suite of analytics that go along with the full complement of parameters. Now, a lot of those systems, some of them might give you live data, while others obviously don't. But even the live data piece has its own limitations. If a system is dependent much more on cloud computing rather than on edge computing, like what we do, for example. That means the calculations, the analytics on the data is done as closely to the source of where the data is collected from. In this case, the source is obviously the player and the analytics is done directly onto the wearable worn by the player. And there are very few companies that worldwide do that. Now, then comes the interesting part, because once you have the, that analytics done, it's about insights. It's not even anymore about parameters or even raw data, because everybody boasts, you know, 12,000 parameters or, you know, 60 KPIs that we're tracking in real time. But then it's the insights. It's what the coaches need to see during a match to take a quick decision, to make a quick in-game adjustments. And that's where the fourth tier of systems comes in, where you can make those analytics in real time, where you can get those insights as the match is progressing. I mean, some of this data consumers will be familiar with. Like I said at the top, it comes on broadcast. We're all familiar with things like top speed. We're familiar with things like heat maps, distance cover. That comes up on the graphics when we're watching. But some of this is really valuable business data. And, you know, you mentioned some of them that are more obvious than others. Medical data, data that's very personal and data that's very commercially sensitive as well. So how have technological advances helped increase the amount of data that can be measured? And what sort of data beyond the really obvious examples are clubs now tracking? So the amount of data is increased exponentially. And we are not just talking about more of the same data, but it's all the different types of data, like you mentioned, that can be incorporated into a decision. Of course, we can talk about broadcasting that data and, you know, helping the fan engagement part of it. But here we're also talking about the proper development of the player, which has the effect of boosting that player's value to the club as an asset and as a performer at the end of the day. So what type of system, you've alluded to a little bit with it, you know, when we're talking about you know, edge computing, but what type of system is Byron Sports? What sort of system do you offer? How does it work? And what sort of level of organization do you work with? Our biggest thing is that we do everything live. So we do the insights, not just the parameters. We obviously collect 12,000 data points per player per second. That's what we do. But then we combine this data into parameters, and then we combine it into insights, into high-order indicators. The idea is that at the end of the day, a coach will observe four or five of those insights, and that will give him or her the entire picture of the team, how the team is performing, and uh, which player is pulling the team up or dragging the team down. And that has immense implications on in-game management, like how to do substitution patterns, how to make tactical changes during the match. That's the other thing we do. We combine in real time conditioning data, the performance data, and the tactical data. So in one package, you're able to compare how the team is doing in terms of if, are they executing what the coaches asked them to execute? If they're not, which players are underperforming and why are they underperforming? Is it a matter of their performance as in hasn't covered as much distance or hasn't exerted enough effort? Or is it an internal load problem that has to do with heart exertion, let's say? And 
that's the type of data that we can give to the coaches. And that's what we do. We work with, obviously, professional clubs, but we also do that with national teams. This is what we're doing currently with the Bulgarian national football team. We're helping them decide on substitution patterns. We're helping them decide on uh, in-game tactical changes as well. I know your chief executive has been working on the, the ultimate guide to EPTS on, on SportsPro, which I would urge anyone to check out who's interested in the subject. One of the things that's mentioned in that, and this is something you know, I've been following the, the story of data and football for, for a good few years now and, and the acceptance of this among coaches. And of course, there is a growing acceptance that data is part and parcel of the modern game in terms of allowing you to understand what you're seeing in front of you. But there's still degrees of acceptance. Some coaches still value what they see with their eyes or they prefer to have the data as an assistant rather than driving their decision-making predominantly. So firstly, what is the role of technology in football now in terms of how clubs are becoming more data-driven? And secondly, how are these coaches consuming this data? Are they receiving match reports are they receiving notifications are they sitting on the benches does one of them have a tablet open constantly so what level is it ingrained it's getting more and more ingrained especially with the top tier clubs that is a staple but the difference here is that the top tier clubs can afford the tools and can afford the analytic staff that goes along with it what we're trying to do is sort of democratize this basically make it available to even the smaller staff teams You're absolutely right that the coaches are still looking to the data to validate what they see with their eyes on the pitch. And it's not so much to drive their decision making. It's going to take even more time, I think, than it has already taken. Like the first step, obviously, is there. Everybody in uh, one form or another has a camera and they're filming their matches. More and more teams are getting EPTS or GPS system to help them uh, track internal and external load. But again, most teams stop there. Everybody's developed their own little shortcuts, as in this player has spent 45 minutes into their red zone or in 30 minutes into their yellow zone, and it's time that we substitute them. But that's very basic. That's basically a step up from, oh, okay, he is very red now and he's very sweaty, so I, I think he, he might be tired, you know, or something like that. The idea here is that the data starts to drive those predictions, and that level of acceptance we find that to be relatively low at this point but the benefits from it are enormous just like as i said at the beginning of the of the podcast that can have massive implications on non-contact injury prevention and predicting when those non-contact injuries might happen and also on the proper development of the players would you say that because they might typically have a more of a, a sports science background, fitness and conditioning coaches might be more accepting of the data than a regular coach? Yes, it very well is. And that's what uh, usually happens. And by the way, I come also from a corporate background, but what I've seen in corporate and what I've seen in sports franchises is very similar. There is this silo of information that happens. You know, the doctor is responsible for one set of things to go over. The conditioning coach is observing other stuff. Then you have the assistant coach who is focusing more on the tactics. And you have the analysts who are overviewing, I guess, either advanced scouting or post-match analysis. And there's very little way to combine all of that data together in order to do the proper predictive analytics. And that's sort of where this industry in that regard needs to go next. We're having this conversation at Sports Pro Live. And earlier today, 
we were reflecting on this being the 10th edition of Sports Pro Live. And one of the trends that we've seen in the last decade is the growth of technology in sport. And it's fair to say that certain sections of sport have perhaps lagged behind other major industries in their adoption of technology. But as sport becomes more professional, becomes more big business, it is adopting these technologies that have perhaps been staples of the enterprise world. And it's interesting that you talk about data silos because it's not just the silo information there's also a huge amount of it i mean some of it just isn't interesting or it's not actionable so to what extent is this volume of data a challenge for football clubs even big ones that have improved their it infrastructure or their in-house capability how big of a challenge that is and how can they cope with that i suppose it's an enormous challenge like most people don't even realize how big of a challenge it is because the 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 avalanche of noise and I'm not talking just data but I'm talking what's happening on game day is just too much for a person to kind of process all that information I mean imagine what a head coach needs to deal with on game day of course they have to set up the tactics they have to communicate with the team you know deal with whatever egos because somebody's on the bench but then they also have media responsibilities they also have their own staff to worry about and whatever relationships are within the staff and who is responsible for what on top of all of that they're supposed to read data. Of course, most coaches are going to eschew that. They're not going to pay attention as much to the data when it comes to that. And that is a huge challenge. Basically, that's why there is a glaring need to combine that data into insights. I mean, uh, taking again an example from today, I was at the Aston Villa session, you know, where they talked about their marketing department and how they structured their communication, right? Or their data influx. And they showed this wonderful chart that showed probably about like 20 different providers of data just into their marketing department. I mean, we're talking retail, ticketing, venues, fans, you know, And all of that, they just were not able to process. They needed a system and they needed an algorithm behind it. And I talked to them afterwards. I'll ask them, do you have the same thing on the performance side of things? Because there is even more of a need there. I mean, we're asking more and more of these players. The mental load, the physical load that's placed on them is enormous. I think in one of the articles we wrote, we mentioned the dynamics of play has increased by 35%. And the number of matches, they're probably double what they used to be a decade ago, two decades ago, maybe. And that's a recipe for a lot of injuries. That's a a recipe for a lot of additional costs on the teams. When I mentioned that one million number earlier, that's a very simple calculation of lost days to injury. I mean, we've seen teams, not our clients, but teams that we're talking with that want to become our clients who have suffered a thousand lost days. Just to put it in perspective, in a team, you'll have about 8,000 working days, right? 20, 20 20-something players times 365 days a year, you get about seven or 8,000 days. So basically, they lost more than 10% of their capacity due to injuries. The analogy we like to use is you have a Rolls Royce, and it's not even in the garage. It's in the shop constantly. And that's cost. That's money for the team in salaries that need to be paid, and that's direct loss that are not on the pitch, that are not delivering. But then you need to pay rehab, we need to pay operations, you need to pay replacement players as well. And that's a lot of indirect costs also incurred. And that seems almost the perfect segue into my, into my next question, because after we are a sports business podcast, we are at a sports business event, this is clearly performance technology to improve performance, but there is a business element to it. 
And you've just alluded to the million, again, I'm still going to choose the dollars or the euros right now rather than the pounds, but there is a financial cost to this. There is a business decision to be made when picking this kind of technology. Of course, it has to be able to do everything right on the pitch or on training, but there are decision makers elsewhere in the business who might have a, a say over what tech is used. So what are the business considerations when using a, uh, an EPTS system? What do you have to balance between that performance and cost? If, if let's say, there's a, there's a football club listening to this and, and perhaps weighing it up, what would you say to them? A lot of people go for the brand names in the industry, you know, whatever the top teams are using, and that's fine. But what needs to be considered into the entire equation is the type of service you're going to get. It's not just about the tool itself. Obviously, our claim is that our tool is better. I mean, the Barin as a, as a startup company starts from the hardware part of it. Our CEO is a hardware guy, so we've spent a lot of time and effort into the hardware. But the hardware is the very little part of it. What comes on top, all that analytics, all that impact, all those insights are what makes a difference from one wearable system to another. And that's a consideration that the club needs to make, not just the cost. Cost is part of it. But the opportunity cost is what many clubs very rarely consider when it comes to making that decision. Sure, I'm going to save a little money now that can cost me a lot more in the future. And that's the question that the teams need to ask themselves. What are our goals? Are we developing players in order to sell them? Are we performing so we need to win our matches and we are more focused short term? Those are two very different outcomes, and that is a strategic decision that's going to drive the choice for a wearable system. I'm going to bring back the analogy with wider business now and in terms of like the digitization of other industries. And if we look at technology, or more specifically, I'm going to call it IT because it's a deliberately a less sexy term than the technology. It used to be seen by business decision makers as a, as a cost sink rather than an enabler, as you say, something that can, that can help overcome that opportunity cost. So... Do you think at football clubs there is that change in mindset in the boardroom that technology is an enabler, not just from a performance standpoint, but from a business, a financial standpoint, or is it still viewed as something that let's get the cheapest things possible, the coaches are asking for this? What's your insight on that? I think that thinking is starting to change. And that's why I kind of started this podcast thinking not how much an EPTS system is going to cost, but how it can generate savings, and then how it can generate value. And that's the biggest mindset change that needs to happen. It's happening slowly, slower than I would like it personally, but we're getting there. And I'm hoping, you know, podcasts like this one, you know, the thought series that we do will help address exactly this uh, change in mindset that needs to happen to help the teams realize that the choice of an EPTS system goes far beyond selecting a hardware and goes far beyond what it's going to cost me now. The right question to ask is, how is that actually saving me money? And how is that actually generating revenue for me? I mean, the term I'm about to use is almost a sporting cliche at this point, and I'm expecting a buzzer to go off. But in sport, we often talk of this concept of marginal gains in terms of, you know, anything that can get an extra fraction of performance, a thousandth of a second. To what extent has that entered the thinking when it comes to EPTS? Because the thing I'd say about football versus other sports is because it's not a matter of distance, time, it's a very different kind of sport. Does that enter the mindset with the business decision makers? I don't think it does, if I have to be sort of brutally honest about it. <laughs> no, but the thinking is, 
when it comes to actually EPTS, the gains at this point are still not even marginal. We're talking about huge gains. We're talking about the number of injuries, the number of non-contact injuries have more than doubled as a percentage of the total number of injuries over the last six, seven years alone. And that comes, again, from the more dynamic play, from the higher number of matches. Now, all of that really has to enter into the mindset of the teams that we can start predicting those injuries with far greater accuracy than it is now. A 30% decrease in your non-contact injuries, which is what we are confident we can achieve for a club, is not a marginal gain. I read this study that in the five big European leagues last year, non-contact injuries cost about 500 million. Just uh, hamstring injuries alone were 100 million. So 30% of that has huge business impact. And that's what needs to enter into the mindset. It's not even marginal gains at this point. It's a significant gains. Yeah, we only have to look what's happening in women's football at the minute with crucial ligament injuries. And England's World Cup hopes later this year are going to take a massive severely, yeah, severely affected, affected by that. Artificial intelligence. We talk about this huge avalanche of data sure. and the need to make sense of it. And I know there's a lot of buzz about AI Fortunately, I don't think we'll be talking about generative AI today, but the Please, current no. topic of the jour. <laughs> you know, we look at the future of VPTS and what it allows clubs to do. How is AI going to play a role in that? What's it going to allow teams to be able to do that they couldn't do before? Predictive analytics. Hmm. I, I almost want to get out of the AI because it's become too much of a buzzword or even machine learning. I want to turn it towards predictive analytics, using the data to know what happens next, not just to validate what our eyes are seeing, but what is about to happen. Injuries is one part, but fatigue control and management, recovery of the players, all of that, that's where AI is going to kick in so that we can properly plan the periodization, the practices, the micro and meso cycles of the team or even the macro cycles of the team so that the players are in peak condition when we need them to be. I mean, seasons are long. They're very long with lots of matches. It's impossible to ask the players to be in top peak condition at all times. So we have to choose our spots. That's why there is, you know, 20, 25 players on the team so that we can properly create a model when different players are going to be at peak condition at different times, depending on our needs. And that's where AI can happen. But even before we go to AI, we still need to go back a step earlier. And that is at the data collection part. One of the things that is very underestimated is the data acquisition part of it. Everybody wants to be an analytics company. They want to get the data and do the fancy analytics on top of it and give us the insights. But if you want professionally done analytics, you need to have professionally collected data. And this is where the difference between using your smartwatch and using a system like ours comes into play. One is consumer type of data. The sensors are moving too much. There is a higher degree of inaccuracy into the data. Whereas with a professional system, you get professionally collected data. And that allows the AI really to go to work. Uh, because the fun thing with ChatGPT, let's say right now, is there is a lot of noise in the data that it collects. People are experimenting with it which doesn't necessarily mean that the data that comes into the chat GPTs is all that reliable. And, and this is what we're trying to eliminate with professional EPTS systems is to make sure that the data comes in, is professionally collected, it's uh, free of noise, and it's used in almost its entirety. 
And would you say that's the next frontier for EPTS, that combination of predictive analytics and more professionally collected data, or is there something else you feel that is on the horizon? That is, I think many of the companies in the space very quickly are trying to move away from that part, but there is still a lot to be done in that space. And here we're talking about collecting data, this professionally collecting data, which is constantly expanding in terms of types of data that can be collected, which is reliable and robust. And here we're talking about using more and more sensors and improving the sensors, the hardware part of the data collection that allows us to get more of it. So we move from 12,000 data points per player per second to 36,000 data points per player per second, or a lot more, because that oversampling of the data, and I'm sorry if I'm getting a little bit more technical, but I'm kind of passionate about it, that oversampling of the data allows us to reduce the noise and allows us to reduce the error into the data, which means better analytics, better predictive analytics, better insights, better financial results. More of those dollars and euros that I want. <laughs> so what's next for Bar and Sports as a company? We've heard about your technology. We've heard about the conversations you're trying to have with the industry. What are you looking to achieve in the short term? We're looking to expand, to bring our knowledge and expertise to more and more clubs who can benefit from it and then to continue to grow the industry as such. Of course, we want to be one day the market leader in this space, but it has to do, again, not so much with the wearable system itself, but with the level of service that we can provide, hardware as a service that we can provide to the clubs. And that has to do with better predictive analytics, that has to do with better injury predictions, that has to do with better fatigue control and management, better player development curves so that we develop those players from earlier age and we don't overtrain them early. That's why, let's say, in the deal that we did with the Bulgarian national team, last year we started with just the men's team. This year we expanded to include U17, U19, U21 and the women's team. Exactly so we're able to track the players throughout their entire cycle of development. So that's one thing that's on the horizon for us. The next one, because we are a technology company, smart textiles. When we come to that, you know, I think we're going to have a lot more in a totally different podcast to do about it. But I think that's going to be the, the next frontier, moving the wearable from that little black box that everybody is seeing or whatever color box into the textiles. And that allows us to do that to our weekend warriors and to, you know, the casual fan as well. Yeah, smart, smart fabrics, as you say. It's, it's a very interesting space, but that's a very different uh, topic of conversation. It is. What I would say is the definitive guide to EPTS on SportsPro is definitely worth a read if you want to hear more about the business angle to what is an on-field technology. It covers a lot of the areas of data and insight. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. Yes, please, everybody, go ahead and read the articles on the definitive guide to EPTS. We try to structure them so that they give you more insights into it and uh, more understanding of the space. And uh, it's been a blast. <laughs>